Well, it's good to be back at Bay City Wesleyan. Um, this will pr probably be my fourth or fifth time here, probably my fourth time. And uh, I usually don't get called back very often, so it's really special that you would call me. <laughs> it is. Let me have my Bible. And I, I talked with Pastor Mike this morning. I, I was telling some people, I looked on my phone in there, Pastor Mike Haynes' name was up there on my phone, and I thought, well, what's going on? So I, I tried to find where he was calling or how he got onto my phone, and I couldn't find it anyplace, so I called him. And I don't know where he is now, but he was kind of grouchy because I woke him up. Where do you No, he wasn't like that, but I think he was wondering, why are you calling me today? Are you not coming? What's going on? But... The title of the message this morning is Remember, Remember. And all the music that you people are singing, all the music that you had, it just was exactly online. If, he's, if God has been with you in the past, he's going to be with you in the future. Amen. And that's exactly uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. The, the scripture that I, I want to ask you a question, first of all. As a Christian, when you look back over your life, how many crises has God gotten you safely through? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? As a Christian, when you look back over your life, how many crises has God gotten you safely through? And the scripture is found in Deuteronomy. This is the main scripture. I'm going to come to it in a few minutes, but I'll read it right up front. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17. Now Moses is addressing the Israelites as they're about ready to go into the promised land and there's giants in that land and they're scared to death they've been walking in the desert God has been watching over them for 40 years but now they're going to go and attack some people and they're scared to death he said you may and this is Moses talking to them you may say to yourselves these nations are stronger than we are how can we drive them out but do not be afraid of them. Remember, remember, he says, well, what the Lord your God did to, you, to Pharaoh and all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the numerous signs, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which God, with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the people you now fear. God will be with us. If he was with us in the past and got us through this crisis, that crisis, this crisis, he will get us through the next one that's coming along. Now, I'm 78 years old, and I know if I've got another 10 years, I'm going to face a couple crises. Uh, if I live 20 more years, <laughs> I won't be standing here. I'll be down here like this. But anyway, it's, it's okay, but... but I know that if God has got me through these, he'll get me through the next ones. And uh, there's crises that we face, like death of a loved one, loss of a job, uh, troubled children, divorce, a house fire, unknown uh, danger that he's kept us out of. Uh, and so we know, we know, as we get older, as we get older, 
we can look back on our lives. There's a book back there, the only one I brought this time, it's called The Amazing Golden Years. And it's not talking about the joy and the wonder of travel and of all these things, because right now my body and I are on different channels, quite frankly. And I'm trying to get through the rest of my life. And uh, so I'm not saying that the golden years are wonderful, but the golden years, my wife and I have been able to look back and see what God has done in our lives. And we know that if he's done that, he's going to get us through the future. And that's what this book is all about. It's just looking back on your life. We had, when I was in, in the seventh grade that summer, that spring, uh, which was about 10 years ago, uh, <laughs> I wish, <laughs> we, on Mother's Day, my dad was going to barbecue charcoal, some hamburgs for all eight of us, and uh, it, it was Mother's Day, so he's going to do something special for mom. And so he put the charcoal on, he wanted to make it smoky, and so he put some pine uh, chips in there to make it smoky. Well, it was good. I couldn't taste the smoke, but it was good. Uh, after dinner on Mother's Day, after dishes were done and everything, we were, my older brother and I were across the road uh, playing football in the front yard of our, our, some good friends over there. And, uh, and I, I happened to look up and I happened to look across the road at our house and I said, wow, Dad is, is doing something special in the backyard. Look at all that smoke. Oh my gosh, our house is on fire. Wow. I, I thought, what happened? I ran across the road into the house. Dad gave me the phone. He said, tell them where the fire is. And it was a volunteer fire department. It took them 45 minutes to get there. It seemed like, not quite. I, I'm, I'm stretching things a little bit. Pastors can do that. But anyways, it, it, it was, so finally I heard the sirens coming down the road. And I ran out in this country road, two lanes, and I, I kind of directed the fire engines in because I was afraid that they would, couldn't see all the smoke coming from every window and every door of that house, and they would go right past. So I directed them in the driveway, you know, and so I got them, got them where they were supposed to go. And uh, Dad had put the, char the, the pieces of pine in. Well, pine pops when it burns, if you know. And... Uh, he had the charcoal about that far from the wood box, and uh, that's what caught the house on fire. And, and it was funny because I was watching people drive by. We were out in the country, and they would drive by our house, and they would gawk out the window this way. And then they would turn around and come back, and they would gawk out the window that way. And I'm thinking, there's going to be eight people without a house to live in, and you're having the Sunday afternoon drive entertainment with us? And it, it just kind of offended me. But, but that's, that's okay. My dad had a great, great positive attitude. He said, we, we stayed at the neighbor's house that night. Uh, the next day, he said, you're going you're gonna to be surprised when you come home from school. We got home from school, and dad had, had pitched a, a 16 by 16 foot army tent and, uh, in the backyard. And he said, that's where we're going to sleep. Get the beds out of the house. That's where we're sleeping the rest of the summer. And we did. And he, he got a tiny, tiny trailer for mom to cook for eight of us in. We, we ate in shifts. And there was another little tent with, with a couch in. It was called the living room. So we, we stayed in the backyard for about three months. Wow. And yeah, that's, that's what I was And you know how embarrassing that is? Well, we've turned this into Tent City now in our neighborhood. <laughs> But it's funny, we stayed in those tents for about three three months. 
and we, we, we even were outside working in the rain sometimes. I can remember twice we did this and, and we just wore our clothes till they dried out. There wasn't any place to go, so we were just out in the rain. But anyways, so I look back on that. They got the house finished by the end of August, mid-August. My dad came home from work a couple days later and he said, Marie, guess what? We've got a vacation coming. Where do you want to go, Marie? And Marie said, Lauren, let's go camping. I thought, what? <laughs> we went camping for a week. The three months was very inconvenient for our family, but God gave us the joy of having a vacation of camping, and we were camping the rest of our, the time I was home. We got married, we started camping, took our kids camping, they left. We got a night, another trailer that was more expensive, another camper, and we were camping even last week up in northern Michigan. So, yes, it was a crisis. It was embarrassing. But look what we got out of that. Look what God gave us through all of that. So, why do we get so upset when we go through a crisis? Why? Sometimes, when we remember things, we can use it against people. There was a, a true story, seriously, about two golfers. And uh, one was 70 years old, and I think his name was Sneed. I think it was Sam Sneed. Uh, the other was 30 years old, 40 years difference in age. And they were, they were um, challenging each other as they played. Just the two of them were playing. And they got to the 11th hole. The 11th hole is a, a dog leg. That's where the hole is right straight there, but you gotta go this way and back because right there are very, some very tall trees. Well, Sneed said to the younger guy, Sonny, that didn't go over real big, that Sonny, when I was your age, I hit right over the top of those trees, right on the green. I, I, I one-putted and got an eagle, two under par. Well, don't think that didn't fire up the 30-year-old, the 40- or 30-year-old. And so he, he got his biggest club out that he could get. He wound up so far that the club almost touched the ground on the way through. And his club head speed, I don't know what it was, but that ball just kept climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And it hit the very top of one of the tallest trees, fell down into the woods. It took that golfer five strokes to get out of the woods, one to get onto the green, two putt. He was way over and he looked at Sneed and he said, there is no way you hit over the top of that tree. And he said, he looked at him and said, Sonny, 40 years ago, the trees weren't quite that tall. <laughs> it's good sometimes to remember things like that. But let me show you how we often act when the new crisis comes along. And I'm going to go to the Israelites as they were down in Egypt. Uh, Joseph uh, was down in Egypt first. He was sold into slavery, as you know. And uh, there was a, a six, seven years of plenty, plenty seven years of famine. And Joseph, because he could interpret the Pharaoh's dream, he was made second in command in Egypt. Second in command. He wasn't even an Egyptian, but he was made second in command. Well, the famine was going on and on, and his family was starving, and so he invited them all to come down to Egypt. The Pharaoh said, yes, bring them down. Seventy people came down, and the Pharaoh was very happy to feed them. Well, 
that pharaoh died, the next pharaoh died, the next pharaoh died, the next pharaoh, and after that, uh, many pharaohs died because they were there 430 years. Many pharaohs died. And, and finally, the pharaohs that were alive couldn't remember why they were there, why those Israelites were there. And so they put them into hard labor. They, the Israelites cried out to God. God sent Moses. And, and you know the story. Um, the Mo Moses, God said, Moses, you tell them what I'm going to tell you, and we'll go from there. Uh, turn to Exodus 7, 1 through 5. Exodus 7, 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 7, verse 1, See, I have made you a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this, his country. But listen to this. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will harden the Pharaoh's heart, and though... I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt. He will not listen to you. Then, then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with a mighty act of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of there. You know the story, the Israelites, or the Pharaoh and the Egyptians didn't want them to go because they were in forced labor. Um, there were probably about 600,000 men then uh, that were of working age, uh, that were making bricks and adobe, and I, some of the women might have been doing it too, I don't know. But they, so the, the Pharaoh didn't want them to go, so God began to send plagues. And he sent some nasty plagues. The first one was frogs. Frogs were everywhere. You wake up in the, or you get into bed at night and the frogs would crawl up your legs under the, under the covers. And you'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and there'd be a frog right there on your face. Frogs every place. And so the, the Egyptians finally started killing them and putting them in piles. The stench was awful in Egypt. So Pharaoh said, you get rid of the frogs, I'll let your people go. God got rid of the frogs. Pharaoh said, I don't think so. I think I'll change my mind. I'm not going to go through all of the, the plagues, but there was another one, which was gnats. The gnats were like dust in a dust storm. And they were all over the Israelites. The Israelites breathed them in. They got in their eyes. They got in their ears. Can you imagine all that buzzing in your ear? Wouldn't that drive you half crazy in itself? And then they, they breathed them in and they got down into their lungs even. I mean, the gnats were terrible. Pharaoh said, get rid of the gnats, I'll let your people go. They got rid of the gnats and he said, change my mind. Na -na 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 -na. The third thing came along. The storm of flies. Flies all over the place. Flies in the bread dough. Flies in everything they ate. They ate more flies than food. And, and they would get a plate to eat, a food to eat. They would shove the flies off like this, and these form of flies would come in on. 
I mean, there were flies all over the place. Pharaoh said, get rid of the flies, I'll let your people go. They got rid of the flies. And eh. decided not to. And it went on. There were the, the locusts, there was the hailstorm, uh, the boils on the people, the darkness that fell, and finally the firstborn of the, all the Egyptians were killed. Exodus 12. Go to Exodus 12. Verse 31. During the night, this is after all the firstborn died. During the night, Exodus 12, 31, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people and you, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and bless and also bless me. The Egyptians adjourned in urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will die. So the people took their dough from the yeast, dough before the yeast was, man, I'm having trouble. <laughs> so the people took the dough before the yeast was added and carried it in their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. What a miraculous thing. Pharaoh says, go, get out of here. I can't stand all of this. And so not only did they go, but they plundered them. And they got a lot of silver, a lot of gold, a lot of clothing. So you know the story. They left and the Pharaoh changed his mind of all things. I can't believe he did that. In Exodus 14, verse five, Exodus 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done for goodness sakes? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So here's what's gonna happen. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots in Egypt, probably a thousand chariots. And each chariot was worth like 20 foot soldiers. So there was a lot of foot soldiers there. The Egyptians, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near the Red Sea. Imagine being the Israelites and seeing this horde of army, navy, marines, you know, all kinds of soldiers coming at them. And, and I mean, that was fearful. Now there was probably, if there were 600,000 men, there was probably about, each one of them at that age would have had a wife and, and plus they had children, probably about two million people by the Red Sea. And they were scared to death. They had seen this happen, they had seen this happen, they had seen the, the, the miracles that God worked to get them out of there, but this was something new. Ah, what do we do? We've never seen anything like this happen before. And they were scared to death. And Moses said, stand firm, let God work. And so they stood. 
Gradually, Moses put his staff into the water, the sea parted, and two million Israelites walked through the sea on solid, on dry ground. What a miracle! What a miracle it was! It was beautiful. And as the Egyptians finally, there was a fog covering them, they couldn't see where they were going. Finally, as that fog lifted, they tore after the Israelites, and you know what happened. Wagons and wheels came off their chariots, the sea encamped them, and all, every single soldier in every horse, and even the Pharaoh were killed there in the, the Red Sea. I mean, you talk about a miracle. What do they what do the Israelites ever have to fear after that? Ever. So they went into the desert. They got a little panicky. We don't have any food here. So God sent manna, the most perfect food that was ever created on the face of this earth. High in protein, high in fiber, high in carb. I mean, it was perfect. Well, but we don't have water here. It was a semi-arid area. God provided water every single day for two million people. Well, we're tired of this food. We want quail. God sent them quail, and he stuffed them until they got sick over quail. Well, what are we going to do when our Moses, when our clothes wore out? There's no Sears Roebuck out here. If some of you are old enough to remember Sears Roebuck. Um, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. Their sandals didn't wear out for 40 years. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. God delivered the Israelites from the Pharaoh. God put them in the desert for 40 years. He provided everything they needed for 40 years. And now it's time to go into the promised land. How did the Israelites respond? We can't go in. There's, there's giants in there. You know, the guys are... And there was giants in there. David and Goliath. Goliath was probably nine foot six. The Bible says nine foot. I can, I can add to that. Nine foot six inches tall. He looked at a basketball net right here. He could dunk like that. God had done so many things. And he said, but we can't go in. We're not a trained army. Look at the trained armies they have. Look at the giants. Now, wait a minute. God did this. God did this. God did this. He was with you all the time for 40 years. Your clothes never wore up. And you're saying you can't go into the promised land? You don't trust God? It was a new crisis. And they had never faced that crisis before. And that's the way we are. When, when we... We see God work, we see God work, we see God work, but then something new comes along and it seems to be bigger than ever and we say, I can't go there. I can't trust God in this. I'm not trusting God. I'm going to worry about this. I'm going to fret and stew about this. And that's the way we are. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just amazing that we, we are like that? So God sent the 10 plagues. No, that was way back. So, here, and I'm going to the, back to Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. 
Moses is trying to encourage the people to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, verse 17. Moses is saying, you may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? Do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord did, your God did to Pharaoh and, the, and all, to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty and outstretched arm which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all peoples you now fear. Do not worry. If God did all of these things for you, he'll get you into the promised land. Remember the past. Remember the God who got you through everything will get you through the rest. Remember, remember, do not be afraid. The Lord who got you through every crisis, after crisis, after crisis, you face will get you through this crisis. And we criticize the Israelites. We say, how dumb can you be? Don't you see what God did? Don't you see what God did? Don't you see what God And he can't do this for you? He's telling you to go into the promised land. But there's giants in there. We've never faced giants before. This is a new crisis. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to walk in faith? Come on, Israelites, what's wrong with you? And then we say, when we face a new crisis, oh my, where are you, God? What, what's going on, God? How are we going to get through this, God? I'm going to share with you just a few things that have happened in my life just to help you see some of this is in the book again the amazing golden years um, Beverly and I at the age of 38 thought that God was calling us into the ministry I had this amazing job I was making a lot of money which is so important to me but we thought God was calling us into the ministry we didn't we didn't jump at it we thought we better spend a year in prayer so that we know make sure this isn't a midlife crisis i'm going through because i could have bought a corvette and chased women the rest of my life but they said no i don't know why but so we, we we're going to pray about it for a year we started on january 1st 1983 it was my mother's birthday. We announced at her birthday party. We were thinking about going into the ministry. Mom thought it was wonderful. My brothers and sisters all thought we were crazy, and uh, rightfully so. The first day of that prayer was January 1st. We went home from the party. I was wrestling with my four-year-old son. Uh, we always wrestled on the floor with all my boys, even my daughter for a while. and. Uh, John was a little bit awkward. Uh, and I, I looked at him, and, and, and his left eye was turning in just a little bit. And uh, I put my, uh, my hand over his left eye, and he thought I was just horsing around him and having fun. I put my hand over his right eye, and he jerked his head around and said, Dad, don't, put your, don't, don't turn the lights out. At that point, on that day, we realized that my son John had done nothing wrong in this world, but he was blind in his left eye. 
for some reason. It was an awful time. Doctors said there's no God can heal that. They took him up to the altar and anointed him with oil and with the elders of the church and nothing happened. God didn't heal that son. About 10 years later though, I knew the scripture. God, Jesus said, until now in John 16, 24, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. You will receive it. Well, God, we asked for you to heal his eye and it didn't happen. What's going on? About 10 years later, our church had a softball team. John could run really, really fast. Not like his dad, but he could run really fast. And he, he so we put him in the outfield. Well, a person with one eye does not have depth perception. You need two eyes to focus in, to figure out the depth. John had perfect depth perception. He was a great outfielder. He was a, a goalie for his, his college soccer team. Those balls were coming at him 80 miles an hour, some of them, 60 to 80 miles an hour from 10 feet away. John was a good goalie. He wasn't first string, but he was a good goalie. John had perfect depth perception. God had answered the prayer. My, my son was not an invalid in any way. God had answered the prayer, but not how I prayed. And I look back and I think, God, you are so good to us. About three months later, our, our next son, who was probably about six or seven, was running, at, running the house with just his undershorts on, and we were lucky to keep that much on him. <laughs> but we looked at him, and he had big black and blue marks all over his body. I mean, big black and blue marks. And I, I looked at Beverly and I said, I know you haven't beat him. You're a very pleasant person to be around. I know I hadn't beat him. So we agreed that the next day she would take him to the doctor to see what's wrong. This was in that first year, and it was crises. I, I was at the, in Detroit that day. I was having dinner with some clients that night, and I excused myself to call my wife, and I said, what did the doctor say? And she said, are you sitting down? I said, well, this didn't sound good. And I said, what, what did the doctor say? The doctor said he might have leukemia. And if he has leukemia, he has about two days to live. Wow. I'll tell you what, I, I called, I said, well, well, leukemia was the good news. Two days to live was the bad news. I got in my car, excused myself, I drove home for about an hour, and I was screaming at God all the way. I said, don't you take my son. And, and like, we, we, we had a great time together. I was his T-ball coach. We were flying Estes rockets at that age. Um, we were building them and flying, and we had a great time. I loved that boy. We planned a backpacking trip, just a few doors down, but we planned it. I yelled at God for about half an hour, and I, I just, I just rolled. And as I quieted down, God began to speak to me and said, I didn't hear the words, but these thoughts came to my mind. God was saying, can't I teach him to play t-ball better than you can? I said, yes, you can, God. Can't I teach your son to uh, backpack better than you can? I said, yes, you can. Can I teach your son to play soccer better or anything, any sport better than you can? I said, yes, you can. 
he said, then give them to me. And so as I drove, I just lifted my son up to God and I had a great peace. I was sad, I was crying, but I had a great peace in me. And um, so I got home, we had fun with John, Brad, and about two days later, Brad started getting better. We had brought him home from the hospital, taken him off all medications, all pills. One of his pills had sulfur in it, and Brad, Brad was allergic to sulfur, and he was bleeding to death inside. We took him off the pills, he got better. Brad's 40-some years old now, and doing very well. Well, that wasn't the end of the crisis. New crisis came along. We were told Beverly had cancer. I, I argued with the doctor. I said, you've got the wrong person. The radiation from a wrong person. Now get it right, or I'm going to sue the hospital. <laughs> That's how mad I was and how I felt about it. Come to find out she didn't have cancer. In that same year, my daughter, who was going into the 10th grade, rebelled. She rebelled something awful because she wanted her dad to drive a beautiful car to earn a lot of money so she could brag to her friends that dad was an Adidas rep for the state of Michigan. That was just so important to her. And she, she knew that we were thinking about ministry. She rebelled. She really, really rebelled. She hated the thought of ministry. She never told one of her friends I was going into the ministry. But God healed her too. She got married. And about two years into the marriage, she called me and said, Dad, pray for us. I think God's calling us into the ministry. I said, what? So God got us through every one of those crises. Every single one of them. With John, I realized that God answers all prayer. With my son, Brad, I realized that God wants no one in front of him if I'm going into the ministry. There is nobody you need to love more than me. Not your son, not your wife, not nobody. And, and then with, with Beverly, I realized prayer was answered. With my daughter, it took a while, but I saw the crisis end. Will God get us through every crisis that comes along? My faith grew, and when we can trust him to get us through what he already has, and look at this new thing. I've never seen this before. I don't know what's going to happen. This is pretty major, God. <clears throat> I can look forward and say, but I have faith in you, God. I trust you, God. No matter what my eyes see, I trust you. No matter what happens, no matter what comes along, God, I trust you. No matter what I see, I trust you. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I'll be done. A story about my son Brad, the one who had, we thought had leukemia. Brad was out of high school. He wanted to get a car. My friend had a Volkswagen bus that hadn't been moved in five years. An old one, really old. It was 150 years old by then. 
It's really old. But so my, my son wanted the Volkswagen bus. <clears throat> they settled on a price of $50. My son and I went over to get it. We couldn't move the bus because the brakes had frozen to the, the drums, you know, and so we had to break that loose. We found out it only had two forward gears out of five gears, it only had two that worked. And so, you know, I was driving it home at, at 6,000 RPMs going 15 miles per hour down the road. <laughs> and, and it was, it was a, we finally got the, everything working on the bus. And my son had a job one summer up at a camp in northern Wisconsin. He said, Dad, I'm going to take that bus up there. And I said, Brad, go ahead. But if you're five miles from our driveway, and you break down, don't call me. I'm telling you right now, do not call me. I wouldn't trust that bus to go beyond the end of my driveway. I, I mean it. It was an old bus. Well, Brad took it up to the camp. It made it all the way to northern Wisconsin, nine hours up there. It made it up there. Not only did he get it there, but now he wanted to overhaul the engine while it was there. And I thought, no, don't do it, Brad. Well, he got it tore apart and UPS went on strike that year. <laughs> he couldn't get any parts. He called me. He said, Dad, can you come and get me? I said, Brad, what did I tell you about taking that up there? Don't call me. Find your own way home. <laughs> well, I didn't feel real good about that. Neither did my wife. <laughs> she said, what did he want? I said, he wanted me to come get him. You said, no, that's your son. You go get your butt in that car and you go get him. Well, I said, okay. <laughs> I'm not fighting. I had to find a car hauler. One of those two-wheel things that you put behind your car. You put the car up on it and the back wheels drag on the road. I had to find one. I couldn't find one any place. But the fin finally, the, the furthest west of in, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, I found one, eight hours away, eight hours away. I had seven hours to get there. I drove like crazy. I got up into the UP on two-lane highway, US-2, going across UP. I, got, I was going 75 miles an hour across. I, I, I couldn't get there on time. And if I couldn't get there on time, it was a Friday night. He was going to close for Saturday and Sunday. I would have to wait all weekend in the UP and pick it up and bring Brad home on Monday. I began to pray and I said, God, God, I need a miracle. I, was, I had about an hour's drive to get it and I only had a half an hour before five o'clock before it closed. I said, God, I need a miracle. You've got to do something. I was driving along right after that prayer and off to the left was a little sign said, you're now entering Central Standard Time Zone. <laughs> I picked up an hour. I picked it up, went and got him, drove home. We had a great trip home. I didn't say anything about uh, not coming to get him because I was afraid he'd tell his mother about it and I'd be in trouble again. <laughs> God provide. I said to him, I said to God, how long has that sign been there, God? Did, did you just put that there? <laughs> God provides. In everything we do when we walk in purity and holiness with him. We never have to question the next crisis. It will come. Guaranteed, it will come. 
But remember what, what Moses said to the Israelites. Remember how God did this to you, for you. Remember how he did this for you. Remember how the Pharaoh let you go. Remember how he got you through the Red Sea on dry ground. A sea opened up. You ever seen that before? Remember that. Remember how he got you through the desert with water and food and clothing. Remember, remember, remember. And then when the next crisis comes, have faith that if he did all of that, he'll do this for you too. He'll get you through that crisis. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you watch over us, that you love us so much. God, we thank you so much for that. We thank you that you touch us, that you get us through crisis after crisis. You do things in our life to protect us that we don't even know you're doing. We praise you for that. We praise you, God. And I just pray that you help us walk in faith as we leave here today. Help us walk in faith. We're all going to face a crisis of some kind. It might be big, it might be small. But I pray that you'll just help us to have faith, God, that we can trust you in everything that we face. That you will get us through it. We don't know how, but we know you will get us through it. I pray that you go with us now. Give us strength, give us faith. May our joy just, just be jubilant as we go into the community, knowing that we have eternal life, knowing that we can trust you, knowing that you answer prayer, knowing, God, that you love us so much and you provided an eternity for us. They talked about in Sunday school this morning that we, we don't know what it's going to be, but it will be more glorious than anything we can understand, just seeing you, Lord Jesus, in, in, in person. We love you. We thank you for just you're willing to use us imperfect people to, to encourage others. We praise you for that. Go with us, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I think that ends our service. It does. Okay. Let's go eat. <laughs> Thank you very much. I enjoy coming to this church. I enjoy the godliness of the people here. And it is special. So thank you. And just kind of a reminder that October is Pastor Appreciation Month, so...